Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist with a passion for learning about how to live a vibrant life through practicing mindfulness and meditation, eating a nourishing healthy diet, and moving my body, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. Please note that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or cure any injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with registered nutritionist and associate professor at Monash University, Maxine Bonham. Maxine has had over 20 years postdoctoral experience in nutrition science research, so she has a wealth of knowledge about nutrition. In recent years, Maxine's area of research interest is in nutrition and circadian biology, and in particular understanding health effects associated with sleep debt, suboptimal dietary habits, and misalignment of circadian rhythms in shift workers. As many of us know, highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic, shift workers are essential to keep our societies and economies functioning. Whilst many essential workers are busy looking after us, the circumstances of their work places them at greater risk for adverse health outcomes such as weight gain and obesity, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Shift workers have less opportunity to participate in sporting activities and, of course, disrupted sleep. For shift workers, managing sleep, movement, nutrition and mental health are obviously all important factors in obtaining the best outcomes possible for their health. But today I will be speaking to Maxine about the relationship between nutrition and circadian biology and any helpful strategies elucidated in her work. Hi Maxine, thank you very much for being a guest on Vibrant Lives podcast today. Maxine, you've had over 20 years postdoctoral experience in nutrition science research, so that's really impressive. What keeps you interested in nutrition research? Thanks, Amanda. That's a, a great question. I think for me, I love the diversity of nutrition research. It's it's so broad and it's so exciting. And just when I look back over my career, um, I did a master's in nutrition. I then went on to become a research assistant over in Ireland, where I was looking at the impact of suboptimal copper status on immune function. Um, once I've completed my PhD, I, I looked at um, prenatal methyl mercury exposure on child development in the Seychelles and how diet had a wow. had an impact on mitigating perhaps some of those toxic impacts of methyl mercury. And then I made a big decision to move to Australia. And, and since I've been in Australia, I've more recently been focused on diet composition, meal timing, and metabolic health and um, yeah, the the extent of meal timing and circadian disruption in shift mm-hmm. workers. So I guess just thinking about it to summarize, it's just everything we eat plays such an important part in our disease risk. And that that just fascinates me, I think. Yes, I think that old maxim you are what you eat is is absolutely true. And also I think the thing about nutrition is that it's a relatively new science and so 
there's always something to learn. There's so much to learn, isn't there? Oh, there is. It, it's just if someone had said, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we would be looking at the gut microbiota in, in such detail. And and suddenly for me, working in shift work and circadian rhythms, it turns out that the gut microbiota have their own circadian rhythms. So now that's right. something I can bring into my research now. So yeah, it is just amazing how it's changed. Um, the other thing again is looking at um, our genes and our expression of genes and how that can influence how we react to food. And again, it turns out with shift workers, we can be, we can have different um, polymorphisms in circadian genes, genes, which again may impact how how we react to, I guess, circadian disruption. So all these key nutrition things that are happening in the mm. background sort of all all linked together and it's yeah it is it's just amazing how it, how it all works how it all fits and it's incredibly complex as well you have helped um, establish the be active sleep eat the base facility at monash university so can you tell us a little bit about what is done at base in terms of the programs and the types of research that is done there yeah so so base was started gosh probably around maybe eight, 10 years ago, where um, there was a push for people who work in exercise, um, physiology, nutrition and sleep to actually get together. So we have a purpose-built facility um, just off the main um, Clayton campus um, and we're based at Notting Hill. And we actually have a, a, a number of studies that run. So on, on the bottom floor of the base facility, they look at studies that um, examine fundament, um, fundamental mechanisms that control sleep and alertness. And they have a Centre for Research Excellence in Alertness. There's studies that examine treatments for people with sleep disorders. Um, we're on level one and we look at, we do a lot of work around exercise studies and mm -hmm. the impact of exercise on gut inflammation and um, immune responses um, mediated by endurance um, exercise for, for a lot of the research. Um, as I've said, my work looks at meal timing and metabolic health. We've also run weight loss interventions in both children and adults and, and, and they're ongoing at the moment. And where possible, we try and bring in I try and bring in sleep and circadian experts into the nutrition side of things, and they will include nutrition into the sleep side of things to try and try and make sure that we're including all these key elements of health, I guess, into our research. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds so interesting because um, as a complex human beings, it's it's a combination of everything. You know, you, what what's that saying? Something like you can't run away from a bad diet that's something athletes say like it's a we need to do everything we need to look at our sleep what we eat our fitness all those things it's not just one thing we can be brilliant at eating healthily but if we don't sleep then that's going to have an impact Maxine in the introduction I talked about shift work in Australia and some of the health related issues associated with shift work for example, um, shift workers have an increased risk for weight gain and obesity, for diabetes and for cardiovascular disease. Shift workers can face several barriers to living a healthy life because of the hours that they're working. But today, I'd really like to focus on one of your areas of expertise, and that is the relationship between nutrition and circadian biology, which you've alluded to. So I think it would be great to set the scene by understanding what is meant by circadian rhythm. So can you explain that to us in sort of general basic terms? 
Yeah, okay, a good question. And I, I said, try and make sure I explain this, this correctly. Um, so a circadian rhythm is any diurnal rhythm that occurs approximately every 24 hours. Um, but they're generated endogenously. So what this means is the body generates them and they exist even in the absence of external cues. So basically, our body sort of knows when we when to get up and when to go to sleep. And, and that's a circadian rhythm. If I give you a little bit more detail, they our circadian rhythms are controlled by our circadian clock. Mm-hmm. And there's two components to our circadian clock. There's the um, the part in the brain, which is the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is, I guess, the main controller of the body clock. And what it does is it receives light signals from, from external cues. And that basically tells us, again, when we should get up and mm-hmm. when we should go to sleep. But we also have all these little peripheral clocks that are embedded in all our body organs. And when we're so in our in our liver, in our kidney, our digestive system. So when we're tracking really nicely, our peripheral clocks and our main clock in our brain are all working nicely and synchronously Mm -hmm. together. And that means everything just works really well. We have all these rhythms that just go up and down across the day but in concert together. Um, and they basically ensure that the right physiological responses are occurring at the right time right. of the day. So that's when we're in, in alignment and that's how, how it should happen. I hope I haven't right. made that too complicated. Amanda. No, no, that's fantastic. I'm fascinated because I actually never knew that we had you know, we obviously have the master clock in our brain, but I didn't know our other organs also contain their own kind of um, uh, clocks as well, for want of a better word. <laughs> yep, that's the, that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just moving on from that and explaining it a little bit more. So what happens in our body from, say, a, a hormonal sense when the day begins and the sun rises and then as the day comes to an end and the sun, sorry, and the sun sets, what's, what's happening within our bodies? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So basically what happens is if I start with waking up, so breakfast is ultimately the breaking of our overnight fast. That's where the word comes from. So mm-hmm. we have hormones such as cortisol starting to increase, um, which gets us sort of alert and ready to get out of bed. At that time in the morning, because we've just broken our overnight fast, our body's anticipating food. So insulin is ready to receive food and deal with the consequences of eating. Um, As we move through the day, um, our insulin sensitivity begins to decrease. As we sort of begin to prepare towards nighttime, cortisol goes down and melatonin starts to go up as we begin to prepare to go to sleep. And Mm -hmm. those are just, I guess, the key hormones. But across that day, there will be changes in body temperature, cardiovascular efficiency, um, glucose metabolism that are just picking the right time to sort of peak and trough um, at the right times of the day. Yeah, that is so interesting. So basically, the body in its natural state sort of becomes alert in the morning 
and winds down over the day in very simple terms. So if you don't do things the way the body is wired or expects to, I guess that's where things can go wrong. And that's what we'll we'll talk about. So if someone is working shift work and they don't have that kind of, in quotes, normal eating pattern where they'll wake up, have breakfast, et cetera, so they eat at different times, what's the major different metabolic responses when someone has their meals at odd times, say a big meal at night time instead of breakfast, for example? Um, so what what we have seen, we've done small studies just looking at the, the same meal um, with exact same energy and macronutrient content in the morning versus the same meal at nighttime. And these actually haven't been in shift workers. These are people who have I guess, circadian alignment, They're, they sort of are tracking in, in, in line with their body clock. And what we see at nighttime is that glucose responses to a meal can be up to six times higher. And this could potentially be a relatively healthy meal. So it's normal physiological process in that our, we do have this increased insulin resistance at night. Um, and that's our body's way of doing it. It's not at the right time to deal with food. But if you think about a shift worker who may eat several times overnight, mm -hmm. potentially the wrong types of food because their access to food is severely compromised, yeah. you will see repeated um, peaks in glucose that are slightly dysregulated compared to during the day. And as you mentioned earlier, could actually increase that capacity for development of type 2 diabetes. So I guess put simply, we see prolonged and extended glycemia at nighttime compared to during the day. And so, as you said, they could eat an identical meal, but at night instead of during the day. So is this why shift workers are predisposed to a, or at greater risk for weight gain? We think it may be part of it. Um, mm. what, one of the others or a couple of other bits of data that I think people are beginning to pull together is there's that higher glucose at night, there's some evidence to indicate that lipid handling at night after a meal isn't, isn't quite as well regulated as during the day. And a couple of really small but neat studies that have shown your energy expenditure after a meal at nighttime is lower than during the day. So that means that your glucose goes higher, your lipids go higher, and you're actually expending less energy. So if you sort of pull all those things together, yeah. it, it probably gives a mechanism as to why weight gain may be more rapid in shift workers, because it doesn't seem that they necessarily eat anymore um, from some of the work we've done. It just seems it may be the timing and the type of food that they eat that may yeah. be problematic. So in other words, the body's not as efficient at processing food when it's eaten at, in quotes the wrong times of day yeah, yeah that absolutely it, that's so unfair isn't it it's can, really mean <laughs> can we trick our bodies you know like um make it light at night time so it thinks it's the day or or doesn't that not work gosh you know what that that's a great question um i know for the sleep um and alertness there's a lot of research looking at the right type of lighting. Um, so 
Potentially, yes, I, I would think there probably could be. But in terms of nutrition and what we eat, I don't know if anyone's really, really looked at that in detail yet. I said most mm. of the work is around trying to improve alertness and productivity at nighttime because typically we are most alert during the day. Yeah. But that would be yeah. definitely something worth worth looking into. Yeah, gosh. The other thing I just sort of popped into my head was in terms of alertness. So people that are working at night, generally they're in jobs where they do need to be alert. And one of the other problems is to achieve that, they could be drinking coffee and things like that to keep them awake, which I guess further compromises their sleep as well. Yeah, I think the caffeine and shift workers is, you do get higher intake of caffeine and shift workers. And I feel like they need it to stay yeah. awake they, you know they they really do we we had a study whereby we asked shift workers not to have caffeine overnight for five hours and I think that was much harder for them than we asked them not to eat as well we were trying to introduce a period of fasting overnight just to reduce those eating occasions but not having the caffeine was was the hardest thing I think they had to do because yeah, it, it keeps imagine. them awake yeah yeah um, so let's talk about some of the nutritional interventions that you've looked at with shift workers. And I think knowledge from your trials is very important because it can be applied and turned into helpful strategies. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want practical strategies for, for shift workers. So what have you learned, Maxine, about meal composition and metabolic response? So the first sort of few studies we did and um they, they weren't in shift workers, actually, because we didn't use shift workers because they're already circadian dysregulated. So we yeah. wanted to look what a real response would look like. So the first studies really looked at giving um, a high glucose load at night and in the morning, just a, a proof of concept that glucose is higher at night, yeah. which it was. We then tried to give a meal which we thought um, should bring down glucose. So we gave a, um, a low glycemic index type meal. And whereas it did reduce glucose at night, it was nothing to the extent as to how effective that would be at the morning, in the morning time. Again, a, a really good indication that the circadian disruption and this meal timing is really quite important. We then um, played around with macronutrient composition a little mm -hmm. bit, again, based on information that we know from morning that, that protein will improve um, glucose response to a meal. Um, and, and we did see that at night. We saw that if we could um, change meal type and give more protein, um, which inadvertently lowers carbs and fat, yeah. we could actually improve glucose response. And again, it, it wasn't new information in terms of the morning, but it was new information for us at night. So um, yeah, I think there's more important work to be done to look at what the optimal meal might look at might look like at nighttime for shift workers. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that sounds really promising for shift workers if they can manipulate the macronutrient, which is basically carbs, fat, and protein, manipulate that to change it in favor of protein. It could be helpful for their metabolic response. I think just taking one quick step backwards, can you explain, I guess, in a very um, simple way, why having a, a high glucose response is not ideal? So um, high glucose responses um, are indicative of type 2 diabetes. Um, so what we would see in the morning with someone who has 
good glucose or good insulin and glucose control is that they would have a, a glucose or sugar load, their glucose would go up and their insulin would very effectively bring it back down to baseline within about 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Right. In the exact same people um, in the evening, their glucose can be left high even at three hours post-eating, which means we are leaving healthy people in a pre-diabetic state at night um, just by eating. And again, it's because of this relative insulin resistance at nighttime. It's, it's not a problem during the day. Yeah. It just seems to be a, an issue at night. And as I said, repeated um, high levels and extended levels of glucose are indicative of yeah type 2 diabetes. Mm. So someone who is um, not overweight, um, some of the typical things we might associate with type 2 diabetes, but they're eating at strange times because they shift work, their shift workers, that increases their risk. Whether we can say it increases their risk, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but it definitely would leave them after that eating occasion with higher glucose than if it was earlier during the day. And I, I guess over time, that's that's what we're looking at. So they're right. the associations between shift work and diabetes, their associations right now, there's, it, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's big data sets, um, but it's, I guess, a possible scenario to consider. Right. So I guess more studies need to be done to, to say it's causal, but you're saying it's an association at this stage. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you alluded to earlier that it's difficult for shift workers to have access to quality food sometimes. So if you're working overnight and you're tired and you need something to, you know, give you some energy and the only thing available is a vending machine, you're not really going to get a high-protein meal out of that, are you? It's usually some kind of unhealthy, sugary-laden snack. Yeah, and, and we, we've done a number of studies where we've asked shift workers what they eat at night and the cafe, so we have a lot of people who work um, frontline health workers, so hospitals, mm -hmm. the cafes are closed. Vending machines are potentially the only option. If you go out, the only things that are open are potentially fast food. Yeah. And what you find in shift work industry is a real culture of support for each other because they're, they've got the night shift. It's a real hard slog. And what they actually do in some places is they, they bring in they bring in treats and they share food, but quite often the food that's brought in is, um, I guess, more discretionary in nature. Yeah. And it's very hard to say, you know, don't do that because it's something that bonds them and keeps them focused and together during the night. Um, but in the greater scheme of things, it's, it, you know, they're not necessarily best food choices at the best of times, but had that added disadvantage of the sort of metabolic um, consequences of eating at night with those types of food. Um, so it's, it's really challenging. It is challenging. And I, I guess even with the knowledge that it's better to eat a higher protein meal, for someone to achieve that takes quite a lot of extra work. It would mean bringing in their own food, preparing it, the day before or whenever, just so they've got that available. So it's one of those things, isn't it? You might understand the concept, but to actually implement it can be quite difficult. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as prepared as you are, your workplace may not have facilities to heat food up. Um, we've worked for some paramedics who we know if they're called out, they may have a lovely meal prepared in the station. Mm. But if they're called out for the night, 
and they're busy, that that opportunity to have that home prepared meal or higher protein meal is gone and they have to rely on what's what's available either at the hospital where they potentially end up or yeah commercially available yeah and as you say during the middle of the night there's not a lot of food available I mean service stations and that kind of thing that don't tend to carry healthy options it's a shame that we can't supply our shift workers with a healthy option at work. It's a shame it's not part of the whole work package, but I guess there's there's a lot involved in that. Also, Maxine, I believe that Monash University and the University of South Australia are currently recruiting for the SWIFT study. So can you tell us a little bit about that study and what's being looked at? Yeah, so the SWIFT study is uh, a study that came out, it's an NHMRC study it's it's now five years it was four years but covid has <laughs> created an extension of a year but it, it came out of early work we we did with a heart foundation grant where we looked at trying to our shift workers to avoid eating overnight for a period of five hours because we mm-hmm. thought that would minimize eating occasions and minimize those perturbations in, in glucose and insulin that i'd mentioned um, so while we found shift workers could stick to a period of fasting overnight. Um, what they said to us is we need to lose weight. We, we, we wanted to do the study because we thought it would improve our weight and our health outcomes. And that, that made us think about what we could do to try and help shift workers with weight loss because we know it, it may be harder. So working with UniSA, we, we put together um, the SWIFT study, which is a weight loss intervention for shift workers but we are looking at three different weight loss diets we're looking at a continuous energy restriction one which is you know the best approach to weight loss that we know yeah but we've also introduced two intermittent fasting type mm-hmm. approaches to shift work and and what we're looking at here we've we've called them five two day and five two night so either on um days off or day shifts they have a they have two days of fasting and five days of normal intake. And those who have the 5-2 night diet, we ask them to have their fasting days on night shifts. Right. So whilst we're expecting weight loss to be quite similar across the three diets, mm-hmm. we are wondering if we can minimize food intake and eating occasions on night shift, Yeah. whether we can see enhanced benefits, um, metabolic benefits as well. And so when you're asking the participants to fast, what does that fast look like? Like, Can they eat a little bit or not at all or how do they do it? So what we actually do, they have um, approximately two to two and a half thousand kilojoules a day. So about a quarter of their normal requirements for the day. And we actually provide that food for them. So the idea is, is to try and find a weight loss strategy that's convenient for shift workers. So here's your... 2000 kilojoules eat it either on night shift or day shift Um, and then by not restricting what they eat for the other five days Mm -hmm. we're hoping that allows them to try and have some sort of normal lifestyle outside of their their shift work but yes we we provide the food for those two days Um, right I guess that if you're doing a trial you have to do that otherwise how do you control what it's very hard to calculate calories for the average person so how would they know yeah, right. it is. So who's eligible then to apply for this study? 
So, Are you still looking for people? Sorry, or yeah, yeah no, we're okay. we're still looking. Um, COVID has been pretty brutal in terms yeah. of our recruitment across across both sites, but Melbourne in particular. So we're looking for rotating shift workers because the evidence indicates that they are the most impacted by circadian disruption because of that movement from days off to day shifts to night shifts, their body never really gets the time to adapt. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for rotating shift workers who work two night shifts a week to enable them to fulfill that five to night intervention if randomized to it. So they, they are currently would be um, overweight. So a body mass index above 28 or 26 depending on ethnicity sure um but yeah with this rotating shift work schedule right and how many people do you want in the study overall um the original numbers were 400 um we think we won't be able to reach that target based on based on covid so we'll actively recruit we're um up to possibly the end of the year or, or a bit longer but we're looking for over 200 at least. Right. Okay. Well, good luck. Mm. Um, (laughs) Maxine, on a personal note, I'm married to a workaholic and (laughs) this is going to test whether he listens to this episode actually. So workaholics who stay up late working past midnight, maybe have a snack in the middle of the night or when they finish their 1am phone call or whatever, could they suffer from some of the same issues facing shift workers, even though technically, of course, they're not shift workers? Um, yes, I, I would think that in reality they would experience some level of circadian disruption. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the glucose and insulin responses we saw were in healthy non-shift working populations. So, yes, I would expect an element of circadian disruption um, and potential impact on, yeah, metabolism and I, mm. I guess sleeping patterns as well. Um, so yes, potentially, but I, I think we all we all have that tendency to work a little bit later. And there's been some really interesting um, cross-sectional data that shows that people who have more of their energy intake later during the day are at a greater risk of becoming overweight and obese. And another really sort of interesting study that was a weight loss study, but it showed those who prioritized their calories to earlier in the day were more effective in terms of weight loss. So some really nice data coming out around the the time of the day as to when you have your calorie and consequences of loading it later into the night. Well, that, that's so interesting because I think the way our working life and school and everything is structured, we do tend as a society to eat more at night. Mm. I mean, we certainly do. That's that's the meal we share as a family, whereas breakfast is a bit of a, you know, grab this and grab that as we're running around getting ready for the day. That's something that I imagine people could implement into their lives. It just takes a bit of planning, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It sort of almost goes back to that um, old saying, you know, breakfast like a king, lunch oh, like yes. a queen and dine like a pauper. A pauper. It's, yeah. it's so funny the way now to me that that sort of makes sense. You have your biggest meal in the morning when your body is primed to deal with it and yeah. you have less later on as you're getting ready to go to bed. Do you practice that yourself? Would you try to? I 
I try to. Um, I am a typically late eater. And every time I eat late, I'm like, why are you doing this? But it, it, it just seems to be the way I'm geared. I feel like I'm more yeah. of a night person and there are definite definite traits for people. Some people are morning people and some people are night people. But I, I do think about what I what I eat at night. Yeah. Mm. No, that's very interesting. I mean, to me, the night meal is the time to relax and enjoy food. So I do tend to eat more at night, but I'll try and change. <laughs> I suppose it's it's like everything else. If you're if you're sleeping well and you're yeah. moving and you know physical activity, it's it it's like that. You know, everything can sort of moderation type thing. Yeah. Um, yes, I know. I, d- I don't like to think about that because <laughs> that's the meal I enjoy the most as well. Well, what's interesting to me is that it just shows actually how difficult it can be to change set habits because even with all the knowledge that you have, what I'm hearing is that it's still not easy. Yeah, I, mm. I agree. I mean, changing behaviour is is the hardest thing to yeah. do, um, definitely. And as I said, even with all the information I know, I know there's things I do that um, I, I, I sort of say to myself, you shouldn't be doing them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a balance and I'm, I'm quite good oh, at the yeah. other aspects. So. Yeah, exactly. And we, you know, we're human. We need to have fun and exactly. uh, enjoy ourselves. We can't always be strictly sticking to a no. schedule. We have mentioned COVID a few times in this conversation and it has really put a spotlight, I think, on our essential care workers, many of whom, like nurses, do work shifts. And I think it's fair to say that non-shift workers are aware that sleep disruption is a problem for shift workers, but they're perhaps not aware of the increased risk of disease for our shift workers. So do you think that one of the silver linings of COVID might be that there is a greater focus on the health of our essential shift workers? Have you noticed that at all, that it's being more discussed or or not? Um a little bit. What I did notice a while ago, there was some data that came out um, that if you were overweight, um, you did less well if you got COVID. Mm. And, you know, we, we wrote an article actually for, for Monash that said, well, we have a shift working population just through virtue of their work are more likely to be overweight. They're more likely to be exposed to COVID. There is absolutely a requirement to look at the working conditions of these these shift workers. I I don't know. I I think there is definitely work being done around trying to improve shift scheduling and the number of hours they work. Definitely in Europe, I think there are strict guidelines. Um, But I definitely would like to see more being done about it and more support in the workplace. Um, even, you know, speak to hospitals and places where they try and they'll do things like put fruit out for their workers um, so they can have that opportunity to have a piece of fruit. But mm-hmm. by the time the shift workers come in, the, the fruit box is empty. Oh, so that's it, not fair. <laughs> and, it, and it's just that sort of, yeah. I guess it's just not thinking and being yeah. a, a bit more aware. So I, I hope COVID um, highlights the awareness of the what what shift workers do do to um support us i guess yes. and, and that, that more awareness is, is made because it, it's so important and even with the shift workers we have into our study because we we talk about some of the risks and many of them themselves you know they they know they don't sleep well they've sensed they've put on weight but they don't 
know that they are an increased risk of disease just by turning up to work, basically. It, it's yeah. almost as simple as that. Mm. Mm. So, yes, I, I, I hope that it does highlight this. Yeah, well, I certainly think in the general population, um, there has been a lot of awareness around um, the roles that essential workers play, particularly in the medical field, I think, you know, in keeping us all healthy. And it just seems to me quite unfair that the ones that are working so hard for the rest of us are facing so many battles themselves. So Maxine, overall, based on all the knowledge that you have to date, what would be your recommendations to shift workers to best look after their health? What are some achievable things that they can do? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so trying to make time for some sort of physical activity is, is really important because mm-hmm. um, it's difficult because they're going to work as, you know, colleagues maybe going to the tennis club or going yeah. to their gym class. So trying to do some form of physical activity is really important. Um, trying to follow a day structure as much as they can. It, it sounds a bit strange, but have, having breakfast when they get home from work. Um, so having something to eat may actually help them sleep for longer because if you go to sleep hungry, you'll wake up. Yeah. Trying to have dinner with your family before going mm-hmm. to work. So you, you're almost keeping that meal structure similar. Um, I think watching the caffeine is probably a hard one, but a, a good one. I'm not saying omit it. I don't think that's feasible or practical, but perhaps thinking about the amount of caffeine because of the subsequent knock-on effects on sleep. Um, We've talked a little bit about macronutrients. So um, it's possible to have snacks, you know, nuts, something higher in protein, you know, in your, in your drawer at work or, or something that if you are hungry is perhaps a better alternative to what's typically available in a vending machine. And I guess the other thing we've we've talked about is trying to introduce that little period of fasting overnight. So thinking about nighttime, like a bit like daytime. So between breakfast and lunch, you may not eat that much. You may have a coffee. Seeing if you can replicate that those little periods of fasting overnight, because that's mm-hmm. just going to reduce the frequency of eating and and those higher responses to food that that we that we see at night. So I think there's small things that are achievable, uh, maybe not all at once, but um, they're, they're just things we've thought about as a as a research team over at Monash that we think could help. Yes, and I think it's, as you said uh, earlier, some shift workers weren't even aware that they were at increased risk for a, you know, a higher glucose response and things like that. So getting the word out and knowledge is is important as well, I think. I really do. Yeah, I, I agree. We And we we do have um, shift workers in our study who, who go back and sort of advocate not just for our study, but for their own health and those of their, their co-workers as well. That's a, a really important point. Mm, be good if um, hospitals had fridges for the workers that were full of healthy snacks, you know, like yogurts and nuts and <laughs> yeah we tried to put a we put a grant in uh just a I think it was a Vic Health one to have a couple of sites one with a healthy fridge um and one without but unfortunately it didn't get up but oh, I think shame. it would be a, a bit mm. a good sort of compare and contrast to see if that food did get did get taken up and, and consumed yeah. because I think in the greater scheme of things providing a healthy meal at night the the cost to I think government and companies through lost days through to poor health 
quality of life, mental health from um, shift workers could be reduced quite significantly if, if the right facilities and support was put in place in that workplace. It certainly sounds like it from everything that you've said. Uh, so, Maxine, thank you very much to, for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge. So let's wrap up with a few of my favourite questions. Who inspires you? Um, it's funny, I, I was sort of thinking about that because I knew you, you may ask that. And just, I think, more just more and more relevance, working with shift workers, talking about the pandemic, this group of people who go out and knowingly or unknowingly, have an increased risk of disease, but mm. yet put our health above theirs. I mean, to me, they they just really inspire me that that selfless motivation to do to do good when mm. they are perhaps themselves um, not harming themselves, but you know what I mean, inadvertently impacting their own health. I, I think, and the pandemic has been the time to appreciate everything they're doing. So this group of people really inspire me. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there were uh, stages during the pandemic early on when people would go and clap, wouldn't they, for all the health workers. The NHS, yeah. Yeah, it's nice for them to be recognised and for people to really understand how much they do for society as a whole. Yeah, I think almost 20% of the population are are in shift work roles. Um, it's, It's significant, really significant. Yeah. So the final question that I like to ask all of my guests is, Maxine, if you could recommend two things that people could do, um, anything at all, to improve their well-being, what would they be? Uh, I I am going to sound like such a cliche here, <laughs> but you know everything we've talked about, just prioritizing eating well and sleeping well for me are just just key I know what I feel like after one night of bad sleep I can hardly function so yeah anything to improve opportunity for a good undisrupted night's sleep and yeah just looking after looking after what you eat as I said absolute cliche but I'm sorry (laughs) no but But, they're so important I'm surprised at how many guests answer sleep to that question uh, whether or not it's um, intersects with their a professional life or not, sleep really comes up often. I think people are becoming more and more aware of how important that is. And and especially for someone like you, where you know what happens to our body, you know about circadian rhythms, you really appreciate the importance of sleep. So Maxine, if someone wants to follow what's happening at base or wants to get in touch to be involved in the SWIFT study, what are the best ways for them to do that? The SWIFT study, if if people were just to Google Monash SWIFT mm-hmm. study, um, it would send you to a landing page and a website that talks all about the study, has a screening questionnaire um, and, yeah, and exp- all the information. Okay. I'll put a link, obviously, yeah. in the show notes. We do have, <laughs> I should know this, we do have a Twitter handle for our department um, oh, I can it, find that. It's out. probably Monash Nutrition. Yeah, no, I'll I, find it out. Mm. I'm thinking I'm going to get told off for not knowing that. <laughs> Don't um, worry. But I'll we can be followed on <laughs> Monash Nutrition. But yeah, Monash with study will get you to the study. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that was Maxine Bonham, Registered Nutritionist and Associate Professor at Monash University. I can also confirm that the Twitter handle is indeed at Monash Nutrition. 
Thank you for listening today. And I do hope that you found today's interview with Maxine interesting or inspiring. And especially if you are a shift worker or have friends who are shift workers, please tell them about this podcast and share it with them. If you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. You can subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast. DM me if there's someone you'd like me to interview or any suggestions that you have about topics you'd like me to discuss. And I will endeavor to do that for you. I'm always very grateful for any support of my podcast. You can go to the book reviews page on my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com and if you click the Amazon link there and buy a book at no extra cost to you, I receive a small commission. So thank you very much if you do choose to do that. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.